This is Dr. David Da Silva in his teaching on the Apocrypha. This is session number one, a general introduction. If you are Protestant and you clicked on this presentation, you are already to be congratulated. Protestant Christians especially have to overcome a fair amount of prejudice to look into the Apocrypha and begin to see what is in there. Um, First off, let me say that the Apocrypha, the books that make up the Apocrypha, are just a small sampling of Jewish literature written in the time, so to speak, between the Testaments, between about 400 B.C. and into the first century A.D. Alongside the texts that we find in the Apocrypha are many other works, such as the dozens of books that go into the collection that are known in admittedly limited circles as the Pseudepigrapha, and also the books found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, particularly the non-biblical books among the Dead Sea Scrolls. Not to mention the writings of Josephus and Philo and other such texts. So there's a large corpus, a large body of Jewish literature coming from this period between the Testaments. And the Apocrypha are identifiable as a collection only because of the reading practices of Christians over the centuries. It is, um, it is the way these texts have been singled out by the church over the centuries that, uh, that enable us to talk about the Apocrypha at all. Now, in light of those practices, the, the term Apocrypha uh, refers, from a Protestant point of view, to those books that are part of the Roman Catholic and uh, Orthodox Christian Old Testaments, but are not regarded as part of the Old Testament by uh, Protestants. The term apocrypha comes from a Greek word meaning hidden things. So obviously, apocrypha reflects the Protestant perspective on these texts. The same books would be called deuterocanonical books in the Roman Catholic or in Orthodox Christian communions. Or simply, they'd be referred to as part of the Old Testament. The word deuterocanonical, a second canon, uh, would not be uh, used to imply a second-rate canon, but merely a canon that emerged after the book's Uh, agreed upon by Jews, Protestants, and and, uh, Catholics and Orthodox as part of the Old Testament. In other words, an admittedly later group of writings that nevertheless form part of the canon. Uh, Deuterocanon no more implies uh, inferiority to other canonical books than Deuteronomy implies the inferiority of that statement of the law to the earlier statement uh, of much of the same material in Exodus. Now, I'd mentioned that Protestants uh, often have to overcome a fair amount of prejudice to to even read these books or think that they ought to care about what's in these books. Um, 
Many of the people with whom I've dialogued about the Apocrypha seem to operate with this presupposition that these books have been tested by Christians, found wanting, and thrown out justifiably from the canon because they have no intrinsic value or because they're even harmful and and will pervert and warp uh, the reader's sense of the truth. Sometimes it's just a result of the lingering prejudice that many Protestants might feel concerning Catholics and other uh, Christian communions. Those books are what they read, not what we read. My own experience of the Apocrypha is somewhat different. I was raised Episcopalian. And in the Episcopalian Church, uh, uh, the Anglican communion worldwide, we're able to look at these books as not scripture, but also not unscriptural at the same time. Uh, We might even hear uh, some of these texts read in church, aware that they're not scripture, but also aware that they're part and parcel of the tradition that the church has handed on. And I myself have been surprised to find out the esteem with which the Protestant reformers embraced these books. Martin Luther, and we will, we will discuss this more fully in a, in a later lecture, but um, Martin Luther thought highly enough of these books that when he produced his German Bible, he translated them. If your goal is to get your parishioners to stop reading texts, you don't translate them and make them available in their vernacular German. Now, uh, it's significant that when he published his German Bible, he separated out the books of the Apocrypha from the Old Testament and placed them in between uh, the Old and the New Testaments, signaling that they are not on par with Scripture. But the very fact that he translated them and put them there also signaled that he thought they were, in his own words, useful and good to read. Similarly, the English Reformation uh, took this kind of moderate position in regard to the Apocrypha. Um, In the 39 Articles of Religion that basically define the parameters of of faith uh, for the Anglican Communion, um, the apocryphal books are on the one hand clearly not to be held at the level of the canonical scriptures, but on the other hand are promoted to be, quote, read for example of life and instruction of manners. Even the Swiss reformers Ulrich Zwingli and John Calvin held these books in high regard, provided translations of these books in their vernacular Bibles, and commended them for containing, quote, but in translation, much that is true and useful. Not everything true and useful, but much that is true and useful. Uh, So on the one hand, they were promoted. On the other hand, with some caution. But let's be honest for a moment. Most of what we Christians read is non-canonical literature, and most of it probably has more error than the Apocrypha. I think of my last catalog from Christian book distributors, for example. There's a lot of stuff in there. Let's be honest that departs much more, uh, uh, much further from, uh, from the plain revelation of the books that we would call scriptural books than anything 
you will find in the Apocrypha. So all that to say, it seems to me that the witness of the church as a whole, by, by which I mean not only Roman Catholic and, and Orthodox churches, but also even the classic reformers, is that as Protestant readers, we should take the trouble to read the Apocrypha and even to read it before the latest book by a Max Lucado or a Joyce Myers or a T.D. Jakes or whomever. Now, let's think about briefly together in this introductory uh, lecture where these books come from. They are all Jewish texts. Some of them come from Judah or Judea, um, uh, being written between about 200 B.C. and 100 A.D. Some of the books, however, come from diaspora Jewish centers. Some are uh, likely to have come from places like Alexandria or um, somewhere in the vicinity of Syria and Cilicia in, in what is now kind of the, the south uh, part of Turkey and, of course, still present-day Syria, where there were large Jewish communities. Some may have come from the eastern diaspora as well. Uh, all of them were written uh, in either Hebrew or Greek. Um, and so what we have in this collection is kind of a, um, a representative sampling of voices from Jewish authors throughout the Jewish world, be it what we might refer to as Israel, Palestine, or be it the larger Mediterranean or Levantine area. And uh, I think we could say all of the books of the Apocrypha would come from a period between about 300 B.C., and that's being generous, maybe 250 B.C., and 100 A.D. So we really have um, uh, kind of a, a, a pastiche of representative windows into what Judaism was like throughout the then Jewish world during this period between the Testaments. As I've mentioned before, the only reason we talk about the Apocrypha as a collection is because of the Christian church's reading, practice, uh, reading practices throughout the centuries. Um, these books, uh, their, their place in the Christian church, as we'll explore more fully later, was always kind of a point of question. Uh, Christians were always asking, should we follow the Jewish canon, which Protestants uh, do, the, 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 the shorter canon of what first century people would have enumerated as the 24 books, but we enumerate differently because we count all the minor prophets separately and what have you. Or should we, um, should we include books that they don't, but that early Christians have found useful and have clearly uh, drawn upon as resources? So if anything, Christian reading practices, uh, uh, even if they were um, tensely debated, uh, gave us this collection, and I would even say selected out these texts from that larger wealth of Jewish literature as particularly valuable for Christians to be aware of and to read. What's in the Apocrypha? 
uh, we find books that fall into a variety of genres, of, of, of kinds of literature. And one particularly uh, well-represented genre would be expansions and retellings of the biblical story. Uh, we will find a book which is now known as First Esdras, which basically gives us another version, a retelling of material that we could read at the tail end of Second Chronicles in Ezra and in one chapter of Nehemiah. So a kind of another version of that story. And uh, for, incidentally, retelling the biblical story was a popular uh, a kind of literature during this period. We'll also find uh, uh, different versions of books that we know from the Protestant canon. For example, there's a different version of Esther in the Apocrypha. Uh, the, 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 the version that Protestants are familiar with is translated from the Hebrew uh, and is considerably shorter than the Greek version of Esther. So in some uh, uh, editions of the Apocrypha, we'll see this as additions to Esther, where that additional material has just been kind of pulled out and presented. But that's kind of misleading because the whole of Esther is different in Greek. You'd be surprised after reading the Esther with which Protestants are familiar how religious a book Greek Esther is. God, prayer, marks of Jewish piety appear throughout Greek Esther and not merely in the additional sections. One would also find a fatter version of Daniel in, uh, in the Apocrypha. Um, that is to say, um, a version of Daniel with deleted scenes restored, if I could put it that way. The story of Susanna, uh, a story of a, of a Jewish maiden who is imperiled by corrupt judges. Uh, leads off the book. And the story of Daniel's debunking of two foreign cults, the cult of Bel and the cult of the dragon, uh, ends that collection. As well as um, uh, the story of Daniel 3, the three young men in the furnace, being expanded with some beautiful liturgical poems. First, a prayer of repentance, uh, placed on the lips of Azariah, and then a lengthy psalm of thanksgiving placed on the lips of all three. There are also some other um, uh, expansions, or perhaps we should say uh, texts that are inspired by the story of Scripture. For example, the prayer of Manasseh, which is a beautiful penitential psalm inspired by, of course, the story of Manasseh, the worst king in Judah's history, because of whose crimes uh, there was just no turning back from the curses of Deuteronomy falling upon Judah, manifested in Nebuchadnezzar's um, ravaging of, of, uh, of Jerusalem and her temple. And then a uh, 151st psalm added to the number of 150 in which uh, other episodes of David's life receive their kind of liturgical moment, namely his selection over his brothers and his defeat of Goliath. There are two very important historical books included among the Apocrypha. These are 1st and 2nd Maccabees. 
these are probably our most, well, these are easily our most important witnesses to the tumultuous and, and uh, epic-making events of 175 through 141 BC in Judea. Uh, this was a period in which um, the very question of Jewish identity was on the table. Would we continue to remain uh, Torah-observant, distinct, different, and in the eyes of our overlords, backwards people? Or would we assimilate and put ourselves on the international map by becoming like the nations? This is also the period in which, after roughly 400 years of foreign domination, um, Israel becomes an independent state once again for a brief period of about 80 years under the Hasmonean dynasty, uh, more famous for their, their role in the leadership of the Maccabean revolt. So um, these events told uh, in, in these two books really uh, have a lasting impact on Jewish identity um, and uh, those challenges, those options uh, that come up in that story uh, repeat themselves throughout the rest of the intertestamental and the New Testament period in interesting ways. The zealots, for example, with which you might be familiar uh, from first century uh, Jewish history, trace their roots back to uh, the, the kind of zeal for Torah that the violent resistance movement, the Maccabean Revolt, manifested, for example. There are also a number of wisdom books in this collection, or if we were to broaden that out, we could also say instructional books. Uh, perhaps one of the most impactful and important books in the Apocrypha is The Wisdom of Ben Sirah, which is also known sometimes as Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus. This is a, a very lengthy collection of material that closely resembles Proverbs in the Old Testament, but in a, in a clearly much more developed way. For example, while Proverbs, while much of Proverbs consists of discrete maxims, Ben Sirah um, uh, consists mostly of five to ten verse blocks of instruction developed, uh, many of which, however, have their kernel uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and so Wisdom of Ben Sirah um, kind of gives us a later development of what the wisdom tradition in Israel looked like round about 200 B.C. Uh, there is another book uh, called Wisdom of Solomon. Now, while Wisdom of Ben Sirah shows us Jerusalem-based wisdom in 200 B.C., wisdom of Solomon shows us diaspora Jewish-based wisdom, maybe around 50 B.C. to somewhere around 30 A.D. It's, it's harder to date that particular uh, book. And, and many scholars will say wisdom of Solomon shows us uh, the wisdom of Egyptian Jewry, uh, perhaps even the Jewish community living in Alexandria. Uh, we also find a book called Baruch, um, which is attributed to Jeremiah's scribe by that name. And um, 
Baruch is, is an interesting pastiche of genres. Part of it is penitential liturgy. Part of it is wisdom poem. Part of it is prophecy about the ways in which uh, the, the, the plight of Zion, the plight of Jerusalem, will be reversed in God's good future. We have a very short book called The Letter of Jeremiah, which in older collections of the Apocrypha is simply the last chapter of Baruch. And the letter of Jeremiah is basically a tirade against idolatrous religion. And its, its goal is simple, to keep those Jews living in the midst of people who worship idols immune from the effects of seeing the majority of the people around them engaging in this kind of worship and maybe being drawn to join them in it, maybe wondering, do they have something there? that uh, I should be more tolerant toward or even embracing of. And we would also find um, what probably is best described as a, as a philosophical treatise, perhaps even a, uh, um, the technical term is a protreptic discourse, which means a, 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 dial, a discourse promoting a particular philosophy, promoting a particular way of life. In this case, promoting the Jewish way of life in terms that would be readily intelligible by uh, a Greek philosophical discourse. We also find a number of works uh, that I might call inspirational fiction. Uh, these would be the books of Tobit, Judith, and 2 Maccabees. Uh, Tobit... Uh, tells the story of a diaspora Jew who was carted off to Nineveh uh, as part of the Assyrian conquest and gives us a window into some of the challenges uh, that he faced, but even more than that, um, provides a story in which uh, pious lifestyles result in timely divine help and deliverance. Uh, it's also, incidentally, a wonderful window into the ethics of, of the period. Judith is a story of a different kind. Judith is a story of, uh, of a woman who uses her particular charms to deliver her village from a siege uh, by one of Nebuchadnezzar's generals, General Holofernes. It's full of historical errors which almost scream out to the ancient reader, this is fiction, this is fiction. You know. um, uh, but, the, but even within the fiction, uh, the, the story is given that, um, that God's honor will be vindicated by God through whatever uh, vehicle presents itself as, as a vehicle for God to use. And sexist though it is to say, even the hand of a woman. And that seems to be the last word of, of the book. God will deliver even by the hand of a woman. Third Maccabees takes us back to the diaspora, uh, specifically to the plight of Jews in Alexandria, Egypt, after the, um, the Greek king of the Egyptian uh, uh, territory, the, the Ptolemy of the time, um, is rebuffed in Jerusalem. And it's just another story of divine deliverance of those who uh, show themselves faithful to the covenant even when 
uh, it's precisely fidelity to the covenant that gets them into a jam with the secular authorities. The collection uh, of the Apocrypha, uh, as, as it tends to be printed now, also includes one apocalypse, which is known as Second Esdras. And of course, we'll talk more about this in a future lecture, but Second Esdras is actually a composite text of three different books. The core of it is a Jewish apocalypse, also known as Fourth Ezra, um, that is written from after the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, wrestling with all manner of questions of, of how meaningful is it to be law observant when, uh, when God has allowed Israel, Jerusalem and its temple, to be destroyed by those who were far less concerned about God and his law than the Jews were. Uh, It's a sort of uh, argument that says, I know we were bad, but they were so much worse. How could you let them trample us? And how could you let them, the Romans, continue to flourish? And so uh, in a dialogue between Ezra and an angel named Uriel, uh, these questions are worked out uh, with the result that... um, Torah observance as a meaningful way of life and as the way to enter into life eternal reemerges as the only sensible way forward despite the national uh, misfortunes. Now, I would say that the collection known as the Apocrypha uh, is a very valuable collection for all Christians to read and to become familiar with and even to study in some depth. It's not a long collection. It is, it is no longer than the New Testament. So realistically, one could read through the Apocrypha in under 30 hours, or if one were to take 40 hours, one could read it slowly and quite thoughtfully. Not a huge investment of, his, of one's life. But if nothing else, we can say that the Apocrypha offers us valuable windows into intertestamental Judaism. Um, And this is, I think, of paramount importance for people who are studying the New Testament. Um, One analogy might be this. If you were an expert in church history from its beginnings up to the Reformation and knew nothing else after that, how would you make sense of the modern church scene? You could kind of, But if all you had to go on was church history up to 1500, you would make a lot of mistakes. You would make a lot of assumptions about what suddenly happened in the 21st century. But if you knew the stuff that happened in between, between 1500 and 2000, you would see much more clearly where 21st century Christianity came from, what it was drawing on, what was new, and what turned out to be not so new afterward, uh, af- after all, and what have you. You'd understand, you'd have a basis for understanding many of the tensions that you see in 21st century Christianity that um, you just didn't have prior to, the 15, prior to 1500. All that to say, I think the Apocrypha and really Second Temple Judaism uh, uh, even more broadly fills in that essential gap uh, that allows us if we're studying the New Testament, really to see the the full picture of how Judaism got to this point out of which the church grew, 
and also what early Christians were drawing on as they were uh, uh, wrestling with and seeking how to motivate a faithful response to the challenges of the first century. So, windows into intertestamental Judaism, not least of which is the history of the period. I'd mentioned first and second Maccabees in that regard. Um, windows into the development of the theology of law and covenant. It's really quite amazing to see how uh, the theology of the covenant, uh, already articulated in the Old Testament, is adapted, is maintained, uh, is in the face of certain experiences shored up um, uh, so that that uh, theology of the covenant could continue. For example, what happens when really covenant obedience seems to lead to experiencing the curses of the covenant? Not long life and blessing, but short life and death uh, by torture. Uh, How do we still affirm Deuteronomy and its promises when that's the experience of Jews? The Apocrypha uh, gives us windows into how Jews made sense of that and were able to answer those challenges so as to reaffirm uh, uh, Deuteronomy uh, and its view of history as a meaningful framework for life and decision-making. We get some um, very useful windows into Jewish-Gentile relations in this literature um, that, just frankly, are are far more relevant for the first century than uh, Jew-Gentile relations in the conquest of Canaan, for example. Um, we, we, we get to see why Greeks and Romans uh, looked askance at Jews and, and how they thought about the Jewish communities in their midst and how those Jewish communities dealt with those prejudices and, and uh, were able to uh, push against the pressures that they were, um, uh, that were inflicted upon them so as to remain faithful to their ancestral way of life. And also, um, perhaps not incidentally, but very importantly, the kinds of tensions that existed within the Jewish community because of uh, of various uh, impetus uh, to respond to the outside world in different ways, assimilation versus maintaining our ancestral identity and boundaries uh, despite the disadvantages that might incur. We find some very uh, helpful windows into basic social practices and facets of the cultural context of these centuries between the return from exile and the birth of the early church. Um, uh, We find, for example, just to throw out in Ben Sira, uh, a, a lot of windows into friendships and patron-client relations and things like that um, that, that represent a, a real development upon and uh, shift from what we might encounter in the Old Testament. So we, we learn a lot about the everyday context of Jews in, in Israel and Palestine um, during this period, for example. And also witnesses to the piety and religious practice of the period. It's one thing to look at Torah observance or to look at the temple cult and sacrifices through the lens of the New Testament. 
that largely rejects all of it. It's another thing to look at it through the lens of pious Jews who find it all very meaningful, very enriching. Um, and, and we can better appreciate what's happening in the New Testament if we have not a caricatured view of Torah observance or temple sacrifices or what have you, but have an insider's view also uh, uh, as to how those things are meaningful, why, what's at stake when the question is, should we let uh, Jews and Gentiles eat together, as in uh, Antioch, for example, or not. So aside uh, from the ways in which the Apocrypha opens up the world of intertestamental Judaism to us, I think it's also essential reading for Christians, for all Christians, because it provides an essential background for the teaching of Jesus and for the writers of the New Testament. Now, it is true that there is no explicit recitation of a passage from an apocryphal book in the New Testament. Um, However, there are a lot of resonances between what we find in the New Testament and what we find in the Apocrypha. Uh, Even material that couldn't come from the Old Testament. It's clearly a new development since the close of the Old Testament. Uh, Enough resonances that suggest that even if a New Testament author didn't directly read any of the books of the Apocrypha, the Apocrypha provide us with our way into that broader pool of cultural knowledge, religious knowledge, ethical knowledge, that New Testament authors also drew upon. Um, And also, um, I always recommend reading the Apocrypha to my own students because it is a resource that the Christian church in its most formative centuries found valuable for some very important facets of its development and existence. Irrespective of our position on the canonical status of the Apocrypha today, it is beyond dispute that texts from the Apocrypha played a large role, a significant role, in the development of early Christology or the development of the doctrine of the Trinity. So to to understand some of these um, uh, essential, one might even say core, developments of early Christian theology, one should also have access to those texts that the early Christian theologians were bringing out as they talked about who Jesus was prior to the Incarnation. Um, Also, one finds that Christians uh, draw upon texts from the Apocrypha in their work of apologetics. Um, Not so much apologetics directed toward uh, non-Christian Jews, but apologetics directed toward non-Christian Gentiles. The anti-idolatry polemic that one finds in Letter of Jeremiah and Wisdom of Solomon, for example, shows up again in the the, uh, defense speeches, the apologies, as they're called, of second, second century Christians like Justin Martyr and Athenagoras and others. So it was a useful tool, at least in that regard. Christians faced 
martyrdom increasingly, uh, moving into the second and third centuries. And so perhaps it is not surprising to find that Christians during that period, facing persecution, looked to stories of Jewish martyrdom for their inspiration. Those stories of Jewish martyrdom are not found in the Old Testament. They're found in the Apocrypha, uh, most particularly in 2nd and 4th Maccabees. So those two books emerge as very important resources in, uh, for example, Cyprian or Origen's exhortations to martyrdom, helping Christians uh, make the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of piety to God and witness uh, to God. And uh, finally, um, one uh, can see a fair amount of influence on the part of the Apocrypha on developing early Christian liturgy. This is especially true in Eastern Orthodox communions. The, the impact of Wisdom of Solomon, for example, is, is quite uh, remarkable there. But also the prayers and psalms that one finds within the Apocrypha, some of them, I should say, become staples of early Christian liturgical practice from a very early uh, point on. I would suggest, finally, that the Apocrypha provides us with ethical and devotional literature of value in its own right. In these books, uh, we find answers to the questions of, for example, what it means to live with a view to eternity rather than this life only. That's a perennial problem. Uh, I'm, I'm referring here to Wisdom of Solomon, for example, uh, above all the others. Um, uh, we, as Christians, need to make uh, decisions on a, on a regular basis. Are we going to live for our gratification in the now or for our vindication by God in the then? in the future. And the apocryphal books wrestle with this question and help us uh, wrestle with it as well. Uh, we, find, we find in the apocrypha uh, books that help uh, reinforce for us the value of taming and overcoming our impulses and desires rather than gratifying them so that we can commit ourselves more wholeheartedly and with greater integrity to living out uh, those practices and those virtues that God approves and wants to see in us. We have texts that help nurture forgiveness, generosity, and other such relational graces, as well as uh, some fine examples of, of personal prayer, confession, repentance, praise, and petition. For all these reasons, um, Christians of any kind have good reason to delve into the Apocrypha, not fearing what we'll find there, but reading it simply with the same uh, judicious uh, discernment that we would apply to anything we read outside of our scriptural canon. If we engage it, we will certainly be enriched thereby in many, many ways, historical, ethical, devotional, and also our recognition of where our forebears in the faith, starting with the authors of the New Testament, drew some of their inspiration and material.
This is Dr. David Da Silva in his teaching on the Apocrypha. This is session number one, a general introduction. Thank you.